Welcome everyone. My name is Vinod Nambudiri from Brigman Women's Hospital and today thank you for joining us for this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm pleased today to be interviewing two individuals who are going to be speaking to us a little bit about pemphigus and pemphigoid and I'll allow them to introduce themselves to you now. My name is Donna Colton. I'm an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And there I have a specialty clinic where I see patients with pemphigus and pemphigoid and I also run the immunofluorescence lab. My name is Becky Strong. I'm a registered nurse and a patient with pemphigus vulgaris. I'm also the outreach manager for the International Pemphigus and Pemphigoid Foundation. So I'm in charge of patient education, physician education, um, and student education as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for joining us here today. And in order to set the scene or set the tone for our conversation, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your current role and the research or the activities that you do related to pemphigus and pemphigoids. Maybe we'll start with you, Donna, and go from there. Okay, so yeah, I uh, see many patients with pemphigus and pemphigoid in my specialty clinic and have enjoyed what the patients teach me, so have done some basic science research, but more recently transitioned into clinical trials research, which has been very rewarding to see a lot of actual translational science coming from the bench to really our patients in terms of many new clinical trials that are being offered to pemphigus and pemphigoid patients, which is brand new and very exciting. Fantastic. And Becky, fill us in a little bit about some of the work that you're currently involved in. Great. So at the foundation, like I said, I'm in charge of patient education as well. So a lot of things that I do are encourage patients to join our natural history study at the foundation. Uh, it's a longitudinal study with the FDA and the National Organization for Rare Disorders. So we can have better information to give to researchers like Donna. Also, I do a lot of patient education webinars, um, peer support, regional support groups, the annual meetings as well. So we try and get as much information from the doctors into the patients hands as well as trying to gather information from the patient so our doctors can treat us better. Sounds fantastic. Sounds like both of you keep quite busy in the work related to management of patients with pemphigus and pemphigoid and a lot of what I'm hearing is a lot of educational activities as well which is which is fantastic. Tell us a little bit based on your own personal experiences right now maybe from both the physician perspective and from the patient or education perspective what are some of the real barriers that dermatologists face in the management of patients with pemphigus and pemphigoid we'll start with you donna so i think the first real issue is making sure that patients get a diagnosis and i think we see and becky will speak more to this but patients often see multiple physicians and years can go by before they get an accurate diagnosis so i think one of the main hurdles is just making sure that patients have an accurate diagnosis seems easy after the fact and I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of patients referred to me after the diagnosis has been made but truthfully being on the front lines um, when you're seeing patients with chronic ulcerative conditions of the oral mucosa specifically to really be thinking about these disorders when you see a blister that's easy but when you see either ulcerative lesions of the mouth um, or non-bullous forms of the disease on the skin, I think it can be tricky. So making sure that you have the right H&E, a DIF, maybe serological studies to confirm the condition is really important. And, and I think management's always tricky because these are chronic 
diseases, right? They're autoimmune diseases and the immune system really is trained to only get better at recognizing its target and the target is always there in your skin or mucous membrane. So it is a chronic disease and we have many new medications that are better at treating it, but really it's still a chronic disease with relapses. And so I think being a strong support system for your patients through their treatment journey is really important. And truthfully, as we all become more crunched to see patients in a more timely fashion. It's important to have other resources for the patients to get more information and support. They often feel very alone. So I think managing their disease is one aspect of it, but managing how they feel with their disease and how it affects their life is something completely different that we don't always have enough time to do in our clinic visit. So that's why I think the IPPF is so important, and I'll turn it over to Becky to talk a little bit more about that. A few years ago, the IPPF did a study and found that the average patient has to see five healthcare providers over the course of 10 months to find a diagnosis. And I think another big barrier is that a lot of patients, about two-thirds of cases, actually begin in the mouth. As a patient myself, it took me 17 months and seven doctors. And the first person I went to, even being a nurse, I have oral lesions, I went to my dentist. And my dentist wasn't very knowledgeable. I kept going back repeatedly, went to different specialists, had to go through multiple different unnecessary tests, seeing unnecessary doctors, um, having unnecessary procedures and medications before somebody did the diagnosis. And I think part of it too is to do a diagnosis requires the direct immunofluorescence, which requires a special medium. And I think a lot of doctor's offices don't have that medium directly at their fingertips. So I think that's a huge barrier to know that it's not an immediate thing to think, oh, I have oral lesions, I need to see a dermatologist, right? And I also think that this is a rare disease, right? So common diseases happen more commonly. And so, yeah, it it takes time to eliminate and go through some of that. But it's important to really start diving into the diagnostic testing when lesions last longer than a couple weeks. Donna, from your perspective, overseeing an immunology, immunofluorescence lab, and hearing what Becky's saying about kind of the challenges and the importance of DIF in making these diagnoses, any practical tips or insights for the dermatologists out there that are listening to this about making the diagnosis? Yeah, thanks for asking that question because I think it's really important. This is our disease and we own it in dermatology. These are our patients and I think we need to be a little more comfortable doing oral biopsies, which is is not always easy. And I think that the saddest moment for me when I'm looking at a a DIF sample is when it's just an ulcer. (laughs) So just to remind everyone that if you're going to consider doing a biopsy in the oral mucosa, to really do about a centimeter away from the lesion is really important. And that's a little bit further away than you would do it on the skin, but the subclinical disease really extends further beyond the actual lesion in the oral mucosa. So that's one tip. And another tip is just to remember that the mucosa heals really quickly. And these are patients that are already used to having sores in their mouth. So I frequently do a four millimeter punch on the labial mucosa or the vestibule. I avoid the gingiva and I avoid the tongue. I think you can do lateral tongue is pretty easy, but to avoid the the hard palate or all kind of areas that maybe you do want to refer out. And I don't close it is the other thing, so I don't put a stitch. I think that patients find that more difficult. And, and really, usually by the time I'm calling them back with the results, the biopsy site has already healed within days, really. So I think that's 
a helpful tip to know. And then to partner with one person that you trust, either ENT or oral surgery, that for the patients where the lesions are all in a place where you don't feel comfortable biopsying or you don't have the equipment, suction, what have you, to really handle the biopsy in those areas, to have a go-to person who's willing to see your patients quickly and who knows where to take the biopsy from is really important. I think that's very powerful information. You know, we as dermatologists do have that ability to take the biopsy to make the diagnosis, but even getting to that step and making sure that our biopsies are as high yield or useful to our patients to get to the right answer here is so important. So thank you for sharing those insights um, related to, to the biopsy. Switching gears maybe a little bit slightly, tell us a little bit about each of your perspectives. What got you interested in working on these blistering diseases of pemphigus and pemphigoid, and kind of how did you come to make this so central to what you do on a daily basis? Well, I started in a basic science lab during my PhD studying autoreactive B cells in lupus, actually. So I thought I was going to be a rheumatologist, but I had two key mentors at the time that were whispering in my ear that dermatology was the way to go if, if I really wanted to study the immune system. And so it's really you no know, turning back since then because I think it's the, the immune system so rich in the skin as we're seeing now and, and really fascinating so much more to learn about these diseases. And really, we learn from each patient we see because they're all different. So for me, I guess I didn't choose it. It kind of chose me, right? Uh, I was working in the healthcare field at a very fast-paced outpatient surgery center. I have a history of working in endocrine disease and neurosurgery as well. So I was very in-depth and well-versed into the healthcare system, and I couldn't find a diagnosis, right? It's pretty typical to say that nurses will try and treat and diagnose themselves until it doesn't work, right? And so it took me a little bit to get up the courage to go talk to doctors. And I wasn't finding any relief, right? And I knew the questions to ask, and I I spoke the same language, right? So I I could ask the right questions. And I consulted with many different physicians that we came across at the hospital and the surgery center about what did they think was going on and who should I see, even asking my dentist if I needed to see a different specialist. And I never got anywhere. And it really, truly took my husband making an appointment and talking to a very in tune nurse and then speaking with an internal medicine specialist to get me to where I needed to be. So because it took me so long to get a diagnosis and I was well versed in the healthcare field, I felt that I needed to do something. And I went to an annual patient conference with the IPPF and a doctor had made an off-the-cuff comment, I've talked to him since and he doesn't remember it, and he said that, you know, that we're the experts in treating the disease, but patients are the experts in living with this disease. And I thought if I could speak to the dentists or the the medical students at that student level and make this disease memorable, I knew I could help a patient down the line. And so that kind of just blossomed into becoming a patient educator with the foundation. And then when a position um, was created for me as the outreach manager, this was the perfect opportunity to blend my nursing knowledge with my knowledge as a patient to further and help doctors diagnose patients like me. Perfect. That's a very powerful story, powerful reminder for those of us as physicians also to always make sure we've got our net cast wide for our patients and making sure that we've got all of the diagnoses to be considered on the table for uh, getting them the best diagnosis or the, the accurate diagnosis as, as timely as possible. What are some of the current hot topics or recent research insights. I know, Donna, you were mentioning that clinical trials in pemphigus and pemphigoid are really taking off, or it's an exciting time. Fill us in on some of the kind of science or translational science that we're seeing right now. 
Yeah, so for years, those of us doing basic science research on pemphigus and pemphigoid have written in our grants that although this is a rare disease, it really is a model disease for other autoimmune conditions. And whatever we learn about pemphigus and pemphigoid on a basic science level or even treatment-wise would, would potentially be able to translate to more complex uh, antibody-mediated autoimmune diseases. And I think, finally, that has come to fruition and that many drug companies are starting to realize that pemphigus specifically is a very well-defined autoimmune disease with well-defined antigen, in large part due to the work of the International Blistering Disorders Group. We have very well-defined definitions of complete remission of a lot of the terminology that we would want to be using. What is a relapse or a flare? If we have consensus on what those definitions are, uh, it actually makes it easier to do studies and compare studies over time, and then also to have a validated disease activity score. And so that group has been instrumental in kind of setting pemphigus up to be a disease that drug companies really want to test their new medications in. And so I do think right now there's a little bit of a blossoming of pemphigus as a disease model, and many drugs are being tested first in pemphigus instead of the way we have done it in dermatology for so years to borrow drugs that have been used for other diseases. We're on the forefront now, which is very exciting to see these really first time being used in a disease, these medications. So it's almost to the point where we worry we don't have enough pemphigus patients to go around (laughs) for all the different clinical trials that are going on right now, but some very exciting cutting edge and very precision medicine type of treatments that are being trialed right now, which is really exciting. And they run the gamut. They're not all in the same area, but I think it just highlights the more we understand about the basic science of this disease and the pathophysiology, the more we can come up with and find more directed therapies to treat the patients. Fantastic. And Becky, from your perspective, fill us in on either the patient or the the larger group perspective on some of these new clinical trials or newer agents that are being explored. So just to kind of piggyback with what Donna was saying that for, you know, a long time and we sincerely appreciate the opportunity to trial drugs and to try drugs that have been used in other fields. But I think in recent years, PCORI, Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute, has really helped bring patients and patient organizations to the forefront to really study what is important to us, to be able to get to a point where we can find relief from our disease, you know, to find a treatment that works that can put us in remission and hopefully one day find a cure, but has brought us to the table to discuss how to make trials doable from the patient perspective, the requirements and what medications we need to be off of, what can we be on, the time is really important to be able to come to the forefront to be able to discuss that as a patient. And as a patient organization, we are happy to partner with our physicians to try and get our patients that come to the foundations into these trials. Patients, I think, have a few stumbling blocks. I think there's some misconceptions that doctors do very well when explaining clinical trials to our patients to help get into the trials to be participants and then once they are like they're very excited to be part of something big and something bigger than themselves to give purpose to what they've been through. And and I'll add that I think Pemphigus is also uniquely situated in that we have an opportunity where the network of patients, physicians is so tight that that really does benefit everyone. So it really, all stakeholders are at the table when these trials are being designed. So industry, patient voice, physician voice, all coming together in terms of, exactly as Becky said, how best to design a trial that that a pemphigus patient will actually be able to complete it, right? It's this complex disease and patients are probably gonna have their natural disease flaring as they might have. So I think it's been really important 
and that we're so connected with each other, both patients and physicians, so that it, it's easier for industry, I think, to come to us. And, and hopefully it ultimately benefits the patients at the end that the trials go smoothly. You both have mentioned a variety of organizations or groups that seem to be fairly instrumental or really powerful resources for both the patients that are dealing with the disease as well as the dermatologists or physicians that are interested in treating or researching the disease. Maybe give me some of the highlights of particular organizations for a dermatologist that has a newly diagnosed patient with a blistering disease, both for the physician and for the patient, things that you would point them to to get them sort of situated in the right direction or to help out either end of the spectrum. As I said, that first visit with a new diagnosed pemphigus patient is a long one, and we can fill them in on aspects of the disease. And I think there is some relief on the patient end to finally have a diagnosis, but truthfully, they really need the full support of the community. They feel very alone. And so I refer every patient that I diagnose to the IPPF, and the website for that is www.pemphigus.org. And so it's easy to remember. I think for patients with pemphigoid, you have to remind them, like, the organization is actually for both pemphigus and pemphigoid, but I put it in their paperwork and refer them to it right away way and I think they feel they've found a home. And it's not only for patients but also for physicians. So if you're a physician that sees a new pemphigus patient out there, you can go to the IPPF and there's a whole list of dermatologists who specialize in this disease, ophthalmologists, OBGYN, so a whole network. I mean, you might feel comfortable maybe beginning to manage their pemphigus or pemphigoid, but maybe you do need to partner with another specialist. And so there's a list there also for physicians to go and look for. And and again, all the clinical trials are listed there. So it really is a central place and it's meant to help both patients but also physicians who are treating this disorders who might not be as comfortable managing the patients. As far as us, like a big pearl would be to get the organizations very early in the process involved with the patient. Like Donna said, we do have a physician list at the foundation that we can definitely get you in contact with specialists of, of different types, and we're happy to do that. And most organizations do that as well. A big thing, too, is I'm a healthcare professional. I know a lot, right? My husband has a master's and a PhD from a very predominant university. We are not stupid people, and I probably walk away with about 20% of the information that was handed to me at my first appointment. And I felt very alone and very scared. And so the point is, is to, if you can get that patient to the organization, you know, a reputable organization for that disease, they can provide medically reviewed information that you've already provided in the office, but they can talk to and discuss and be reminded. So it definitely helps take and give you back some time and reinforces what you're teaching. It also offers support. You know, this is a rare disease. Pemphigus and pemphigoid affects very few people, 30 to 50,000 people in the country. And so to feel somebody else that's been through it, to hear from them, perspective. We have peer health coaches, we have regional support groups, we have annual meetings, we have webinars. We can do a lot of the teaching that you're doing in the office and just reinforce that as well. The IPPF is a member of the Coalition of Skin Disease here. Um, it's a sub of the, the AAD. And so if you have a patient you're going down the road, you think that they have pemphigus and it turns out they have another disease, you know, chances are that they're already in the Coalition of Skin Disease and we can very much put you in touch with another organization through the AAD. You know, and most groups do have other support systems as we do as well. So we're always here to support the patients and the physicians to be able to connect the dots so the patients get the best care possible. Excellent. It sounds like you do a lot of outreach as well as kind of connecting the dots for folks that are coming to your organization and in need of other resources. So that's truly incredible.
one thing that you know I've been hearing a lot of in the dermatology literature and then extending out into other fields of medicine is this kind of increase in drug-induced bilis pemphigoid, especially with some of the new anti-diabetic agents that are out there. Tell me from each of your perspectives, is that something that you've seen kind of creeping up into your clinical practice or that you've had patients reaching out for additional support and what that's done for your scope of work? So yes, I definitely have seen a few patients with the glyptin-induced or triggered bolus pemphigoid. And I think the most important thing to remember is really to be looking at your patient's medication list. I think that's an easy part to kind of review quickly without thinking about whether it might be playing a role. And part of that is because of the long and variable latency period after starting these medications. So it's very variable. It can be even more than a year after some of the patients start the medications. And then I think the other tricky part is stopping the medication does not always lead to disease resolution. And so we try to distinguish between drug-induced disease versus drug-triggered disease, which at the end presents to you the exact same way, a patient that is on one of these medications that has blisters. And so my approach is to look at their medication list. If there's a potential triggering drug, stop the drug, treat the patient as you would. And truly, if it was more of a drug-induced disease, you'll be able to taper the medications more quickly and you'll get, but I don't like the approach of stop the medication and let's wait and see what happens and leave the patient with blisters for months and months waiting to see if they're going to get better because they may not and you've missed an opportunity to actually help them control their disease earlier on. From the patient perspective, absolutely. As the outreach manager, we've had patients come to the foundation after believing that it comes from a medication. And I'm going to kind of present the flip side of that. It's a a rare autoimmune blistering disease, and we don't really know what causes autoimmune conditions. And so patients definitely are looking for a reason. Sometimes they like, is it because I eat wheat? Is it because I eat dairy? You know, and we leave it up to the doctors to make recommendations to change diets. The foundation is not for that. We're here to support you and to provide science-based information. And so we will try and help get you in contact with the experts that can help you. We try and provide as much information and peer support as we can and resources for you to have very meaningful conversations with your healthcare providers. I never stop the medications myself. I always partner with the prescribing physician, but highlighting that this is an area where we're seeing a lot of drug-associated disease and and could they consider an alternative agent. So to make sure even though the patient, you give the patient the information, I think this drug may be causing your disease, it's important for them not to go home and stop it, obviously. I think we would all know that. But it does take a little bit extra effort to coordinate with the primary care physician. As we approach the end of our conversation, what are some key maybe clinical points that you can provide to dermatologists, whether they have a newly diagnosed pemphigus or pemphigoid patient, or they have someone in their panel of patients that they've been kind of struggling to get under control? What are some tips or tricks from both of your perspective that might be able to help them along in the management of these patients that often face very challenging disease phenotypes? So I think the first thing that I sometimes see is physicians feel so overwhelmed when they have a patient like this show up in their office and they haven't seen this disease maybe since residency. And unfortunately, 
potentially prescribe too short of courses of, of oral corticosteroids, uh, systemic corticosteroids. So uh, we all know that's kind of the first line treatment and the thing that's going to get the patient disease control more quickly. But really from day one, you need to be thinking about what your steroid sparing agent's going to be. And so too often, I think we see patients who have been on prednisone as monotherapy because it does work for patients and the physician doesn't really know what the next move is going to be. So I think very early on to be kind of thinking about your list of what you might be doing to get them off the prednisone eventually. But eventually is the key word because I think if you take them off the prednisone too quickly, they're just going to have recurrence of disease. And I think we all see that and we understand it, but it's important to remind that it's going to be a little bit of a longer course of prednisone than anybody's really excited about, but it's really necessary I think early on in the disease. And if you're not sure what your next move will be in terms of steroid sparing agents, to really reach out to somebody who's treating pemphigus and pemphigoid all the time, most of us are happy to give guidance on that. I think from the patient perspective, two things. One, I am more than a bunch of blisters or lesions on my skin that I'm a whole patient. And a lot of these treatments do come with some pretty serious side effects, both emotional, physical, and mental as well. And so to remember me as a whole patient and to make sure that you're monitoring and screening for some of these things. Depression is a real issue with us in our disease. A couple of weeks ago, Charles' husband committed suicide who had bolus pemphigoid. So, you know, it, it's real and it's happening in, this, in, the, in the world today. The other thing is to get the patient organizations involved very early in the communication and to provide them with that support. You're providing phenomenal medical support and treatment to a patient. And then by referring them to a patient organization, you're taking care of the whole patient, making sure that they're supported in every way they can, even if they don't have that personal support at home, you know, in their own life, you're providing that through the organization and the the treatment and the care that you give. I think that's a powerful lesson to end on. I want to thank you both for your multitude of insights that you shared with us today. And thank you to everyone who's been listening to this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. We look forward to having you join us again. Thanks so much.